You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're working through the book of Malachi. Today we will finish the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to the book of Matthew... Um, Just flip back one page and you'll be at Malachi chapter 4, unless you have like a space holder page that says like New Testament, but then maybe flip two pages. Uh, But you get to the Malachi chapter 4, and we've been walking through the book of Malachi, seeing what what all is going on um, uh, in this time period before Jesus Christ comes. And what the book of Malachi is consistently portraying as we've gone through it is, is we have a responsibility to God, and God is calling us to a life of further obedience, right? Obedience and uh, and how we spend our time and our resources. Obedience and how we treat God's name with honor and reverence. Uh, this this theme of obedience is 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 heavily invested uh, in in Malachi, and also the theme of disobedience from the people of Malachi's day. The priests were disobedient. The people were disobedient, and God is calling them back to repentance. And that's the, one of the overarching themes in the book of Malachi, this idea uh, of repenting, coming back, doing what it is that you know you should be doing. Um, and we live in a society today that needs to be called to repentance. Uh, repentance is, is the, the, the literal turning away um, from, from, from sin and turning back uh, to the things of God. We need uh, to have a, a, a season of repentance as a people, Right? As at First Baptist Church Rockdale, you guys need to have a season of repentance, almost certainly, uh, in your own personal lives. But as we move out from our church, uh, just look. I mean, look at what is going on in the world around us. It is dark, and it's depraved, and it happens inside of churches. It happens outside of churches. Our world right now is pretty tore up. There's a, there's a consistent dishonoring of God, disobeying of God's commands. There's a consistent watering down of God's commands inside of churches. Um, turn on your TV, watch um, whoever's preaching on TBN right now. I'll just throw TBN under the bus. Watch whoever's preaching on TBN right now. Uh, dollars to Donuts say they're probably watering down the gospel right now, making it soft, making it agreeable, making it something that uh, is more palatable to ears. But really what people need to hear sometimes is, like, there's sin, you're engaging in it, and you need to stop. And as a culture, if we would begin to turn uh, our eyes away from ourselves and away from our sinfulness and turn back towards God, um, we could experience some of the things that, that we know we need. Um, the revival of our churches, um, the revival of our communities, the revival of our nation, the revival of our world. These are the things that we as believers should be praying towards. We should not be passive about that. We shouldn't be like, well, maybe one day, hopefully that sort of stuff happens. We should be seeking an awakening to the things of Jesus Christ on our knees daily praying for God to work. The book of Malachi draws our eyes towards that concept. And as he closes in Malachi chapter 4, he wants to draw people further into the concept um, that what they're doing and how they're listening matters today. And so we pick up in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4, and this is what Malachi writes. He says, For behold, the day is coming. Burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, 
the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so God is promising here that there is a day that's appointed to come. And this is that day of the Lord. If you read through the Old Testament prophets, you see this concept of the day of the Lord brought up over and over again. And it's this time period when God comes back to institute judgment on the wicked. Right? He comes, he returns to institute judgment on people who are living in opposition to him, but also judgment on those who are living in obedience to him. And so it's kind of a twofold judgment that takes place here. The wicked are going to experience the, the judgment that, that is rightly deserved to them, right? If you're living a life of wickedness and depravity, when a holy, just God comes back, it's going to be unpleasant. So we see, see things like they're going to be burned, root and branch, there'll be ashes under your feet. Right? The idea is there's going to be a total, complete judgment on the wicked. I, I've mentioned this before, but that is good news for the church, right? That's good news for the church because we know that God will one day judge. And so we don't have to live our lives in constant judgment of other people, right? Sometimes the church has taken on the role of God of judge too much, right? And we like to bump, jump on people because they're, they're, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're doing things that oppose God. And so we just jump out and we are just attacking people, right? And it looks bad for the body of Christ. The truth is where there is injustice, when there is a lack of goodness, God will ultimately make that right. And we can trust in God to do that. And so you don't have to be the arbiter of all of those things because God already has that job. Right? He doesn't have a job placement out there being like ultimate judge looking for a set of many judges to come underneath me to judge humanity. That is not going to be your role in the end times. Right? That is not what you're going to be doing. You're not going to be sitting there um, executing God's ultimate wrath and judgment on the wicked. God will take care of that. Your job Right, is to be in the other side of this equation of judgment, where we get to receive the blessings of God, right? the, the Son of Righteousness with healing in its wings. The idea where, 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 where the Son of God, literally we'll use the picture of a, of a burning sun, will come out and burn to ashes and rubble those who are dishonoring to him. That same sun, when, when illuminating the righteous, those who love God through Jesus Christ, it will be life-giving. Right, that, that's kind of crazy, right, to think that, that what is uh, you know, death to some is life to others, but that is truly the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we long for the day of the Lord. We long for the return of Jesus Christ. We know as we read through the New Testament that the day of the Lord is, is coming. It's impending. It will be here soon. Uh, I'm not a huge, like, I'm in Malachi, so I, I will speak on, on, on long-term prophecy things. But, like, I don't... Um, I don't overly busy myself with trying to figure out how the end times are going to work. Okay. Um, if you put a gun to my head and say, Matt, what are your views of end times? I can express them fairly clearly what I think is going to happen. But you can differ from me on how you think these things are going to wrap up, and I'm okay with that because I'm not overly invested in exactly how God is going to accomplish all things. But what I do know is in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ will return. And when he does return, there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. And with that reality, and, and no other knowledge or focus on uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, without any focus on any of those random things, some of you are like, yes, I know what you're talking about. And some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about, right? But without focus on any of those possible possibilities that are, uh, you know, whatever, 
without any focus on that, I'm confident there will come a time when judgment will occur. And with that knowledge, I live my life knowing that Jesus is coming again. And so I want to live on the side, the right side of judgment. I don't want to live my life in judgment of other people. I want to live my life in obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ and of God the Father. And, and if you're like me, right, if you're like me, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life should be like that as well because we know judgment is coming. It's certainty, right? Just like another train is going to come down the tracks, right? Judgment is coming. It is inevitability. And yes, judgment may have been held back, but I see no reason that it can't come now, right? Like by the time this sermon is done, if Jesus Christ uh, saw that this was the fullness of time and the fulfillment of, of his time of waiting, uh, God could send him back and at that moment, um, judgment would be swift upon the earth. It could happen today. That reality is where the believer should sit. Paul sat in that reality back in 60 AD, uh, and we have been sitting in that reality of the present imminent return of Jesus Christ ever since. It will come. It may be today. It may be in your life. There are many people who are very, very convinced it will be very, very soon. I have no reason to doubt it. It could be today. So are you ready today for judgment? If judgment is certain in coming, are you ready to be judged by God? There's a twofold judgment that takes place. There's the, the immediate separation um, between the sheep and the goats. This is a judgment you'll see, right, where um, God separates those who are his from those who are not. Those who are his um, have some sort of eternal heritage in God, will have some sort of um, eternal blessed life, heaven, new earth, however you want to picture that right now, that's okay. Those who are not his, those who've rejected the grace of Jesus Christ, those who have heard the gospel that Christ died for sin and rose again, uh, and those people who have said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, will be separated out. Sheeps and goats will be separated. Churches will experience a separation. There are people who have sat in church their whole lives who thought that being close enough to Christians makes them a Christian. Right? And they've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They never truly trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they'll be separated out. You may look like a Christian. You may, you may act like a Christian. Whatever that means, by the way. That's a weird term to act like a Christian. Um, you may look or act like a Christian. But, it, but is it truly God knows whether or not your trust is fully in Jesus Christ or not? There'll be a shifting uh, of the world between those who know Jesus um, and trust in Jesus and those who don't. And, and there will be those who will be sent off into weeping and gnashing of teeth. But there's another judgment that takes place after that. It's a judgment of what it is that you've done, right? A judgment of your works, right? And in Corinthians, you see this picture where everything that you've done, every deed that you've done, whether good or evil, whether purposeful and meaningful or empty and void, every time that you've driven down the road, whether you've sped or followed the law, whether you've let the person in front of you merge or not, whether you signaled properly, every single deed, I mean, and like, it's insane to think about this. I like the, the movie Bruce Almighty. I don't know if y'all have seen Bruce Almighty. He's like 20 years old now. Um, there's a picture in there uh, where uh, Jim Carrey uh, is opening a file cabinet of his, of his works. And you have Morgan Freeman, the God figure in the movie. And the, and the file, uh, the, the, the little, you know, file cabinet opens and pushes him across like a football field long room. Right? And it's one long file that's like, you know, 100 yards long. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is all that I've done. And he's like, no, this was last Tuesday. Right? Like God has a record-keeping system that we don't understand. 
But everything, every act indeed will be passed through the fire in this secondary judgment. And some things will persevere through fire. Right? Some things will last at the end. They'll be valuable. They'll be meaningful. They'll be personal. But a lot of the deeds that we've done in this life will be burned up. And we will feel great loss. This is tough for us to understand because heaven's a place of joy and like. I understand, like, it's tough for my mind sometimes to wrap around exactly how this judgment works to feel um, a little bit of grief about how we spent the time that God gave us while still understanding that we're experiencing, like, this ultimate rest in heaven that God is giving us. But it's clearly there. There's a secondary judgment for, for, for the believers, and there'll be a judgment for those who are unbelievers as well. Their deeds will be passed through the fire as well. The question is, how will your deeds come how will you come out from that secondary judgment? It doesn't affect your eternal destination. You'll, you will live uh, in the arms of Jesus Christ and uh, the new earth, experiencing all the glory that God has to give. Right? You're going to experience that life, um, but you'll have that moment of judgment. And I want it to be as pleasant as possible. So we go down to verse 4, and we see kind of like the, what the, the crucial part for us in that moment of judgment is it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, what, what, what he's saying here is obedience to the right laws um, put you on the right side of judgment, right? On the right side of that secondary judgment, right? Your eternal salvation is secured through trusting in Jesus Christ. I want to say that a lot today uh, because we're, we're kind of splitting some hairs here today, right? Your eternal salvation is secured through Jesus Christ. There is nothing, no amount of good works, good deeds, good actions, um, can, can take you from goat to sheep. Right? The only way to move from goat to sheep, by the way, how did that just happen? Sheep became my right hand. You guys have been waiting like five years to be called the sheep, and it just happened on accident. Man, I'm sorry, goats. Um, but yeah, some of y'all have intentionally moved over here to be called sheep, and then I just go to sheep. Oh, man, man, I don't know what happened there. But regardless of that, Right? There's no way to move from goat to sheep except through Jesus Christ. That is the only pathway. No amount of good works, good deeds, good actions will get you there. But during that second judgment, this judgment of your works, of, of what it is that, that you have, and there may be some rewards-based judgment in there too. I don't want to get too deep into rewards theology right now. But um, in, in the idea here of this secondary judgment, right? How do, we, how do we experience a pleasurable judgment? How do we experience a judgment where we feel um, like we're on the right side of things? And the idea is that we obeyed the right laws. We obeyed the right rules, the right commands of God. And, and in this case, for Malachi, it's, it's obeying like the, the laws that God had given to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb through Moses. You can go back and read the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy. You can see those laws. There's a ton of them, but, but generally there's ten kind of big laws, right? The Ten Commandments um, that lay out there. If you want to build your life around the Ten Commandments, you're going to do okay at that secondary judgment. You think, man, 10 is too hard. I can't remember 10 commandments. If we did a survey right now and, and said, how, how many of you can name the 10 commandments? Some of you would be like, all right, don't kill people. I got one, right? right? Like, I understand it's not easy. Um, this is not attached to the sermon, by the way, but just let you know your pastor's kind of weird. When I can't sleep at night, I do random Bible trivia lists in my head, okay? Like, this is deeply who I am. And so it was a night... It's been six months ago now, but I was laying in bed, and I worked the Ten Commandments, and I did all those. I felt pretty good about myself. Like, yeah, I got ten whole things. I got them all right. I mean, I'm not checking, so I assume I got them right. Um, and, then, and then I go, and I'm doing, like, the, the 12 uh, sons of Jacob, right? And I'm working that. And that's a tougher game, by the way. 
right? He's got like Gad and Zebulun and Naphtali, these guys who are not heavily mentioned throughout the Bible. You get these random people. And then you've got like these two kids of Joseph that get thrown in that mess the whole game up. It becomes very tough. But I just laid in bed. I probably spent 45 minutes working this problem in my head. And I, I'm not positive. I'll say I got them right because y'all aren't there to check me, okay? But this is what your pastor does when he can't sleep at night, okay? Um, I know y'all do the same thing, right? Y'all are just going over scripture that y'all have memorized and, and re, re, rehashing that, right? Um, but we, when we want to, when we're going to experience this purposeful second judgment uh, when the day of the Lord occurs and we experience this separation between the sheep and the goats and we experience this judgment of our works, the works that matter are the works that conform to the image of God. And if 10 commandments is too hard for you, then move on to the New Testament where Jesus kind of gives you a Cliff's Notes version of the 10 commandments. Right, and really, like God, this is great for us New Testament Christians because like, ten, like we only have ten fingers, but still, it's kind of hard to remember ten, ten things. Right? Uh, I have a sister; she's got eleven kids. I'm looking for help here. I'm getting a nod. That's correct. She has eleven kids. I got like the first four. Okay, after that, I'm I'm lost. I got six kids. I'm also getting a nod there, if that's correct. I got all of them memorized still. But there comes a point where my mind kind of gets overwhelmed with knowledge. Ten could be hard for you if ten commandments are too tough. That's okay. Jesus makes it simple. Two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The simplification of the law into the, the, like the, uh, like the greatest commandments is very, very important. If you live your life and your deeds are showing a love for God, those deeds will last for eternity. When they're passed through the fire, they'll be like precious gemstones that do not burn up. There will be something left. And you say, look at this, my love for God was evident. The time when you reached out to your neighbor and served them because you were trying to show them the love of God. Not trying to get anything from them, not trying to, to, to win their approval, just trying to serve them because God has called you to serve them. Uh, that is a deed that will last for all time. When you do let that person merge in front of you, not because it's convenient for you, but because you know um, that that person is an image bearer of God and they deserve a break every once in a while too, even though they were driving uh, like a child of the devil and you let them in in that moment, right? That, that deed uh, can, can carry on for eternity. And the idea at the end of this judgment, if we obey the right rules and we, and we serve um, God with the right form of obedience, at the end of our life, when we've already been separated, we're experiencing rest with God, what we have left from this life that God has given us can be just a tremendous amount of valuable memories and things. Or it can be the opposite. Right? One of my great fears is that one day I will pass away, I'll face God, I'll, I'll go through initial judgment, uh, and then I'll get to this part here. And then God's going to lay out, you know, today, uh, September the 13th, 14th, I don't know what day it is, September 13th, I think, um, 2020. He's going to go through this day, and, and he's going to say, Matt, there was nothing there. Hopefully the sermon maybe makes, makes, makes a dent, but like there was nothing. What'd you do? What'd you do for other people? What'd you do for me? What'd you do to, to, to show your love for me, to your children, to your wife, to the people who, who, who you've uh, you know, fellowship with over the course of that day? What did you do today? with that day. And guys, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I get terrified by that, but I know it's coming. Judgment is real and impending, and as believers, we're going to experience that judgment. And I want us to have the, the, the least painful judgment possible. First of all, I want us to know Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I want us to deal with first judgment first. And then after we know Jesus Christ, after we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want us to live our lives 
devoted to the things of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of our lives, when we look on at everything that we've done and there's nothing left of value or very little left of value, that is a shameful waste of what God has given you. God gave you 24 hours yesterday to love, serve, and honor him. Lord willing, we'll get 24 hours today. Are you going to love, serve, and honor him today? Obedience puts you on the right side of judgment, so we need to work on our obedience to the right commands. Not all commands are right commands, by the way. This is implicit in the idea of obeying the right things. Right? Not every uh, thing that you can be told to do is something that you should and must do. Right? I don't bear authority over y'all for much at all. Right? Like I have a, a little bit of limited authority inside of the church situation that, 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 that works as a pastor here. But really, like my relationship with you is not one of authority. And if I tell you to do something that doesn't honor God or isn't respectful of what God wants you to do or is, just isn't specifically what God is calling you to do in this moment in your life, Right, you have a duty to disobey me, to honor God. Right? Now, hopefully, I'm not trying to call you to sin and do stupid nonsense, but like you have a responsibility to obey the right things. And not everything that you're going to be commanded to do, there can come a time when this country that we live in right now uh, might command us to obey things that are dishonoring to God. We have to recognize where those points are. We have to put our feet down and say, okay, I'm going to be okay being on the wrong side of this. We've got John MacArthur right now, right? And, 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 and L.A. is just getting absolutely destroyed. He's pastor of our church in Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles doesn't allow churches to meet right now. John MacArthur and the city of L.A. are having issues. Right? But there comes a point, and I mean, he, like, there was a season where they did not meet in person, and they did just what we did, where they did online or try to figure out a way to do ministry. Ultimately, John MacArthur felt convicted, compelled inside of his spirit that church became something that needed to happen. Uh, and I'm not going to stand in judgment of him in that situation. And so he said, look, we're going to have church because it needs to happen. Ever since he's made that decision, it has been rough on him with that county. County and the city both. It's tough, right? There comes a time, there can come a time, while it looks far-fetched and difficult to think that we'd ever have to disobey the civil authorities um, to honor God, but that can happen. So we have to be willing to say we're going to obey what God is telling us to do over what man tells us to do. Um, at all times. We're going to obey the right authorities for the right reasons to end up on the right side of judgment. Because I don't know about you, but I'd rather be on the side of judgment that has something pleasurable at the end um, than something that, that's destructive and depressing at the end. And then we continue on to finish off uh, Malachi, and it says, for behold, verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so he promises this, this Elijah who will come. My brother, years and years ago, I, I was going into the ministry, so my brother reached out to me uh, with this question from this passage right here. Uh, and he was like, hey, so is John the Baptist Elijah? And that was the question he asked me. And the answer to that question, by the way, now, years later, is, yeah, yeah sort of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think John the Baptist is Elijah, sort of. Does John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus Christ to, to, to come and to be the first coming of the Lord? There is going to come a time when you will have someone speaking prophetically as John the Baptist to you. Every Sunday, I stand up and I fill that role for you. I really do. Like, I, I'm not a um, New Testament prophecy guy. I have issues with uh, people who say 
God said this to me, and it's out, not, not included in the Bible. I think that's a dangerous way to go, right? God said that we're going to do this specific thing at this time. It's, it's, uh, I'm not that trusting of myself. But I do stand up and say this is what God's word says, right? And I put myself underneath what God's word said, and I says this is what God's word says, so you're going to have to obey what God's word says. And your responsibility when the John the Baptist person comes, the Matt Higginbotham comes, the prophet of our day comes, and says, God says, live your life this way, is to heed the warnings that you're given. You guys are so fortunate. You here, right now, you gathered online. You get to hear warnings of impending judgment. Like, you know it's coming. There, there's a whole lot of people in this world right now who, who do not know that judgment is coming. They have no idea that judgment is coming. You have the opportunity today to respond to judgment that comings. Heed the warnings that are in your life. Every day, every Sunday, I get up and I preach, and there probably is some sort of a warning to you, right? To, to live your life underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. Heed those warnings. You are blessed to have them. Thank God that you have the opportunity to know that judgment is indeed coming. There's going to come a day when this thing will all go up. Will not be anymore. And your time for response has passed. So respond today, right? Obey today because judgment is indeed coming, right? We obey today knowing that we've heard the warnings. We've, we can heed the warnings and we can change our lives. Elijah, if you know the story of Elijah, Elijah may be my favorite Old Testament character. I just love him. He's, he's sarcastic. Right? He has the power of God underneath him. He's a great, great, I mean, go, go back. It's 1 Kings, end of 16, 17, he shows up. Um, Elijah jumps into the picture here, uh, dealing with a wicked time in, the, in, in, in all of uh, Israel. And Ahab is the king, and Jezebel is his wife, and it's rough, and they're worshiping false gods and setting up idolatry. It's a terrible, terrible time to be someone to tell the truth about what God wants. And he stands up. First thing, first words out of his mouth. He just shows up out of nowhere, by the way. We don't know where he came, he came from, Tishbe, but we, like, we don't even know where that is today. He just walks in, somehow shows up in Ahab's room. I don't know how he got past security, right? right. Uh, that's a different story I want to go to. I don't know how he got past security. I had a rockets joke there, but I figured it wouldn't work for the vast majority of y'all out here today, so we'll move on. Uh, but he somehow gets past Ahab's royal security, walks up, to King Ahab and says, hey, no rain until I say so, because you're wicked. Bye. And leaves. Right? Ahab got the warning from God. God's man shows up and says, hey, bad times are coming because you're doing bad stuff. Just wanted to let you know, it won't rain until I say so. And it didn't rain for seven years. It won't rain because I said so. And he just walks off and leaves. I love Elijah as a character, but really, the idea is that there are people who stand up before you and warn you about your life. Sometimes it's this big public proclamation to say, hey, live your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's your friend who comes alongside of you and knows that you're doing stupid stuff, right? Or your spouse and knows that you're doing stupid stuff, and they come alongside of you and they say, hey, you need to stop. All right, I'm blessed to have a wonderful spouse. I love my wife, by the way. Hey, baby, love you. Um, I love my wife. She has that unenviable task sometimes to point out the fact that I, like I, I tell y'all, I try to tell y'all weekly, like I am not finished. God's not done with me. I'm not fully sanctified. I'm a work in progress. 
I'm trying to get better today than I was yesterday. My wife has an enviable job, though, of pointing that out to me. And while I look very humble when I say it publicly to you guys, like, rarely do I receive that well when she tells me that I'm being a turd, right? That's probably the best way to say it, right? Rarely am I like, thank you for pointing that out to me. But I have a responsibility to heed the warnings that God puts in my life. If that warning has come from my wife, or I need to listen to that, and I need to obey what God is saying through them, through her in that situation. Because judgment is coming. I'm going to be judged for every wicked deed I do. If I'm a tyrant at my house, and I'm out of control, and I'm angry, and I'm responding impulsively, and without any care or concern for other people, if I'm responding in that way, right? if that's how I'm living my life, and my wife comes alongside and says, hey, Matt, you're not doing this right right now. I have a responsibility to respond to that. To respond, to humble myself and say, you know what? I haven't been doing that well. I try to work on it sometimes. And if I struggle with that, and I'm so great, which I'm not, but if I struggle with that, I'm pretty sure y'all struggle with it too. Listen to those people God puts in your life. Heed their warnings because there is judgment coming. And I want when God is done with the judgment, whether it's you get the separation judgment or that ultimate judgment of your works and your deeds, they pass through the fire. I want us to all experience great joy and delight in what we have left to offer God at the end of our lives. So listen to those people. Please. Judgment's coming. It's imminent. Could be today. Are you ready to face it? Let's pray.